I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town. Oh Lord, it really brings me. Down. Welcome to the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I am Ralph Amsden, as always, with Brett Quintine and Chili. Uh, we've been out and about this summer. Brett, I know you've uh, you've been out of town. Chili, you as well. Brett, what have you been up to? Spent some time back east, Washington, D.C., and New York City. Always good to be back in the east. Got out of here at the right time. It was 120 degrees for a few days when I was back east. Always good to hit New York City. That is my old home. Um, I, unfortunately, did not go back home like uh, Mr. Quintine did, but... Um, I did go all the way up. Uh, I was in Cusco, about 12,000 feet up, um, hanging out for, you know, kick off my uh, Summer 16 tour, um, which is going to take me through Las Vegas, San Francisco, San Diego, Los Angeles. Uh, I don't know. Let's See, just... now that's more appealing to me than, was it Cusco? Cus- Cusco. Yeah, you got to so help out the ASU recreation majors and tell them where, <laughs> where exactly that is. Cusco, Cusco's in Peru. Uh, it's right by Machu Picchu, so, you know. Um, I feel that's not the first time you've been in that vicinity. No, not at all. I, I actually go up there like yearly. Um, I go hang out, do some things, see some people. Um, wow. I have some fun. You know, I'm a spiritual person and I'm praying for a better season, a better football season. Um, and I felt like I needed to get a little bit closer. And I feel like 12,000 <laughs> feet up, you can't get much closer. So, yeah, that's what I was doing. Uh, I made my first ever trip to Atlanta. Uh, it was a little bit different from me. I liked it a lot. I didn't Magic realize. City. I, I thought it was nice. You got to go to the College Football Hall of Fame. I did. I went to the College Football Hall of Fame. The only representation of ASU that they had there. Uh, a little bit of info on Pat Tillman. And then they had a, a, a helmet in the, in the wall of helmets. Um, and I actually tweeted out a photo asking if people could find it. And they couldn't because they actually went with a black alternate for for uh, the helmet to represent ASU and in the wall there. But it, it was a it was a good time. Uh, did a couple of the touristy things: Centennial Park, Civil Rights Museum. Walked around Atlanta a little bit. Uh, I really really enjoyed it. Um, but I was there for the Rivals uh, 105 Star Challenge, and uh, it was kind of nice because that while there was no representation locally, there were a few kids from California. One from Nevada, a couple of guys that ASU was actually on in the recruiting game. Greg Johnson out of Arborview in Nevada, big defensive tackle. Got to spend some time with him. I got an article out on him on devilsdigest.com. Thomas Graham is a cornerback they've been after for a long time. He was out there, performed really well. Uh, there's another guy named Jalen Red who's about five foot eight, but by far the fastest guy in this whole recruiting class. I was going to say, you've definitely mentioned him yeah, in and he's, some conversation. And he's smartness. somebody that ASU has an outside shot at. It's it's not a great shot, but they're working him. TJ Rushing's on the phone with them every day. Got profiles on every single one of those players up on devilsdigest.com. If you're not a subscriber, subscribe. Chat with us in, in, in the forums and uh, get to know us a little bit, and we'll keep bringing us the best information that we have out there. So, uh, speaking of recruiting, let's just get into it because June was a really interesting month. I think ASU fans were starting to get a little bit antsy at the fact that while ASU at one point had three total commits for the 2017 class, 
Uh, two of those dropped out. Germani Brown, or Germany Brown, actually, uh, who moved to Virginia. And I talked to him while he was out at the Five Star Challenge as well. He told me there's no communication with ASU that's going on. And, and, and oh, wow. So that, that's if, if you uh, weren't looking on the message boards and you're hearing this for the first time and wondering if we still have a shot at a, a guy that Rivals has put you know, in, in one of their top 50 players at times, um, he uh, he didn't have a great performance out there, and so that, that's not to make you feel any any better. But it's his first time going up against some of that uh, you know southeast competition sure. that they have out there. Uh, he, he didn't have a great performance. I got a chance to talk to him before and after, and he told me ASU is pretty much out of the picture. He hasn't really had any communication with him since moving to Virginia and decommitting. Uh, another one, Alex Perry. Uh, Armand Perry's little brother out uh-huh. at Bishop Gorman is somebody who ASU is really hoping comes back around and recommits. He was not out in Atlanta. Uh, I, I think he definitely thought he deserved that opportunity. Um, but he'll be starting his season up with Bishop Gorman real soon, and we'll see if he recommits to ASU. Uh, but those guys had dropped out. Uh, ASU still has Lauren Mondi, uh, linebacker out of Texas, whose father, I think, played with Todd Graham, for Todd Graham at East Central, I think. Oh, wow. uh, and he's been committed ever since he was a freshman. And so he's okay. just been hanging on to that commitment all the way through. I think Rivals has him as a three-star. And then, of course, Ryan Kelly, uh, the, the quarterback from Basha High School, who's a four-star commit. So they had two commits uh, going into June. And it makes you a little bit antsy when your neighbors to the south, University of Arizona, mm-hmm. you know, they're stocking up on players. And right now, University of Arizona actually has the number six ranked recruiting class in the nation, according to Rivals. Part of that's because they have 21 verbal commits more than anybody in the country. They like to stockpile them early. So cut back to ASU, they got two commits, and then all of a sudden, in about a one-week span, they get five. And so let's run through those real quick. Some of them you're familiar with, and some of them we'll get our listeners familiar with. We had the Saguaro Trio. All committing on the same day because they wanted to make a splash for local recruiting and open up the doors that way. Corey Stevens, interior offensive lineman, about 6'2", 270, 275. Good, technically sound blocker. Jared Poplowski, a tight end who they offered after the Territorial Cup win last year, 6'4". Uh, about 200 pounds and a pretty good frame. He'll, you know, he'll fill I was going to say, filling out is big for him. Uh, good hands. Um, doesn't really do anything great, but uh, I, I put him about a step above where Cody Cole was coming out of high school at Mesquite High. Uh, and then uh, they got Kyle Soley, who was at Notre Dame Prep. And he's a kid that might even be able to contribute early because he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, like a Swiss Army Knife type player. I've seen him play tight end, seen him play fullback. Uh, and and he, they want to use him at outside linebacker to do some damage. And so they get this Saguaro trio. They get it all announced together on the same day. And my question to you, uh, having you know sat on this for about a month, chew on what happened, is this going to have the intended effect that they hope? Will this help open the door for other Arizona recruits? Did it make the splash, or was it just kind of a nice ceremonial gesture that won't have an impact? I'm going to say it's a nice ceremonial gesture. I don't think it really factors either way. Great story. Three guys all coming together, one high school, all at the same time, filling a couple of, obviously, positions that are needed. But I don't really think it really impacts recruiting. If I'm a kid in this Phoenix Valley area, all right, hey, I notice it. But it doesn't sway me one way or the other. I don't think, oh, yeah, I'm going there. Wow, look at what Saguaro just did. It's it's nice that ASU's kind of reaffirmed some uh, some pipeline, but I don't think it really matters. 
I kind of disagree. I think that this is going to be great for Arizona with in-state recruiting due to Arizona kind of just owned the Chandler pipeline. Although we lost out on the Kobe Taylor sweepstakes, um, now we're going to take three kids off of what's going to be a state championship team. I think other kids are going to take notice and other kids are going to want to join um, what is going, what is being known as this uh, hashtag New Devils Order. Shout out Chase Lucas, Nikhil Harry, Bryce Perkins. Um, anytime that you can take all these um, players from the best school in the state and which Saguaro's, what, what is it, like four state championships now? It is. I mean, no, they're like powerhouse. Seven or, in the like, last ten yeah. years or I, something. No, they're, you know, they're strong. There's a big question. Do we have the pipeline at Saguaro? I think this answered it. Jared Snap Crackle Poplowski is one of my favorite players in this class. He doesn't do all the things that, uh, that you know, made Todd Heap great, but he does everything else really, really well. He will crush people on blocks. He's, he's going to be amazing. He's going to be a great Sun Devil that everybody is going to talk about. And he fits right in with the Chase Lucas, Bryce Perkins, and Akeel Harry um, classes that we got going on. I'm telling you, this, this is remarkable what's going on right now. And now we're not just talking. You're not, you're not going to get this anywhere else uh, as far as people covering Arizona State University. For people who actually go out to the games, watch these players, talk with them. Uh, you know, we, we got to see Jared Poplowski up close a few times last year. And uh, he what he looked strong at to me uh, was kind of knowing what to do with the ball after the catch. You know, and, and for, for a tight end, I think that's a big deal not to just kind of be a large possession receiver. But he, can, he, he finds a seam and finds a way to kind of do some damage afterward. I worried a little bit, you know, and he, t- he took a hit uh, in one of the games we went to, Westview game, I believe. He went down for a little while, but then he was up and ready to go the, the next week. So I worried about durability a little bit uh, when I when I first saw that. But he, he is all of 6'4". You know, there's there's uh, no smoke and mirrors going on there. He's a bigger kid. He can definitely get bigger than, than he is now. Uh, but I, I would put him at a little bit above average at everything. I, I'm not sure of the one thing to me that stands out. And, and puts him head and shoulders above maybe any other three-star tight end that's out there. Uh, real quick, I know this isn't high school football coverage, but I do got to say, his coming out against Westview, I think was like more due to them being up by like 30 points. So like, is they there were. a rush to get him back in? Like, Absolutely you know, not. I, yeah. think he, I think he was taking more of a Gatorade break. Let, you know, let everything get back in order. I mean, I got the video of him just rolling some kid up. So That did happen. <laughs> and now I'll say perhaps I feel this way because I have not seen a Saguaro game in person since Christian Kirk's last game, which I guess would have been the title game. Because you only big schools, I'm big players. I'm big school Brett, big so school yeah, Brett. so okay. I have not seen a Saguaro game in quite some if time. If your enrollment isn't over 2,500, Brett might I'm not, not come cover a game. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to see him twice early on in the season. Uh, I'm going to be out in Colorado when they take on uh, Valor. Valor Christian. Yeah, and, and then they've got uh, Dylan McCaffrey, at quarterback, Michigan commit, somebody who ASU offered when Mike Norvell was still around. I'm not sure how seriously they were actually recruiting him. Uh, but it'll be nice to see some of those Valor kids in case Mike Norvell. Uh, uh, we had to have a contingency plan in the event that Ryan Kelly didn't uh, figure things out and make yeah, the right yeah, decision. Yeah, I suppose so. But in in the event that Mike Norvell's absence means that, uh, that we're going to recruit a, a school like Valor, uh, through you know some of the other coaches that we brought in, I'll be able to see some of the players up close, and then we're going to see him take on Higley, uh, where uh, there's a recruit that ASU actually lost out on and, and ended up getting Poplowski instead. But Bryce Gilbert, the the big sort of 
uh, hybrid receiver tight end, nice hands. Uh, there we're going to see Higley take on Saguaro. Uh, and he's part of that University of Arizona recruiting class that has 21 players already. And we know they like to lock people up early. Um, but they, they take a lot of guys who don't have better opportunities as far as Power 5 offers. But in this recruiting class, they've also got some four stars, and they're in on some really talented California players just with you know some of their uh, hires that – Younger players uh, are, are excited about. They can relate to the younger guys. The uh, defensive backs coach out of San Jose State, and of course their defensive coordinator that they got from Boise State. And it looks like there's starting to be an uptick in recruiting in Tucson. Is this something that they can sustain? Do you think that getting these players uh, early is a good idea? Or are we going to see what we saw last year with about 10 players decommitting toward the end of the season? I'm going to go with the latter. I think there is such a thing as... Really getting involved too early. Yes, you want to kind of have a handle. You want to continue to have your name out there and really get, quite honestly, the commitments. But what tends to happen, like you mentioned, you had 10 guys last year just say, hey, you know what, we're not coming. After a while, it's like, all right, hey, we are dealing with 17 and 18-year-old kids whose minds change. And when a kid sees something, you never know what might make someone tick Someone's best friend from another state decides to go here or there. It's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to withdraw my commitment. And what happens is it's almost like dating when all of a sudden, hey, you know what? Let's take a break. That really means I'm not going anywhere. So I think you can have too many commitments too soon because you yourself, you want to see how your class fills out gradually. I I completely agree with Brett. I think at this stage in the game, um, it's cool to have like five or six early commits, but I'd rather be on a top player's top five, top eight, top 10 list. I'd rather have that kid tweet out and put it out there like I'm looking at ASU because I think um, it does it does more for you in the long run when uh, hypothetically speaking, like a Tyjon Lindsay type sees that somebody else has ASU on their top 10, then he's like, oh, well, ASU's on his top 10? I might need to consider that. Or, um, you know, like, like Brett said, it, it is like dating. And a lot of these kids, you, they flip-flop. They, they change their mind. They're not into it anymore. And plus, once the losing starts mounting up down south, like I think kids are gonna, you know, smarten up and they're gonna say, you know what, I want, I want to go to where they're winning a little bit more, and they're gonna want to make that move to Tempe because they're gonna see the campus and the beautiful girls and Tempe Twelve and <laughs> all, all of that, and it's, it's really gonna the best sink student in. bodies. The, literally the best student bodies, and everybody's gonna want to be a part of this new devil order. They're all gonna see how cool Chase Lucas and Nikhil and Bryce Perkins are, and they're gonna see how this city is. So, well, so uh, here and here's the thing: you have to figure with a guy like Ryan Kelly, he commits to Oregon, and then seven months go by, and in the life of a 17 year old, that's like five percent of your entire life. Right. So it, 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 can, it can go on for a long time. And if you commit early and you're only really talking to that one school or one or two schools, here's the thing. You develop a really close relationship with your position coach. What if they leave? You're uh-huh. devastated. That completely rocks you. Whereas some of these players should really probably be getting to know the entire situation a little bit more if they're going to be committed for you know, 10, 12 months prior to signing day. Uh, or, or even six months, you know, a lot of them just develop that bond with the position coach and not so much with the, uh, with, with the surroundings. And I'm not sure if that's what you can attribute to uh, happening at, at, in Tucson last year, but they probably saw seven to eight decommits right before signing day. Um, 
And that's a black eye to the program. Yeah, and I I think it really possibly caused some of the exits that they had on the defensive side of the uh, ball as far as their staff goes because they want to be able to retain some of those some of those uh, some of those recruits that they're bringing in. All, all they're doing down south is making a bunch of promises, and these kids are excited. They're like, "Oh my god, a Division One school!" And I have the opportunity to possibly start. Yeah, you have the opportunity to start because they're six and five. You have the opportunity to start because they're seven and five or whatever. They're floating around five hundred now. These kids get excited, but then when a better school comes along, I mean, you, like. like you know, Brett couldn't have said it any better. It's exactly like dating. Something better comes along, you know, catches your fancy, catches your eye, and, you know, it's time to move on and move up and, you know, make make a real splash. So, Well, but these top lists do matter. You you, you, yes. brought, you brought that up, and, that, and you were starting to see a lot of that with U of A as well, whereas you didn't used to with some of these four-star recruits. They've got that blue and red A in, in, in the edits that they're getting on Twitter with their top seven or top ten schools. Uh, and, and I, you know, I talked to a couple of players while I was out in Georgia. One of them flat out told me the reason that he even considered ASU is because they were C.J. Pollard's top school before he ended up going with his legacy commit at USC. So you're absolutely right. That advertising that you get when hundreds and hundreds of people are retweeting a picture with, you know, with a pitchfork on it or blue red A or whatever it is, uh, that can be a really big deal. And so just to get in a player's top schools mm-hmm. matters, and that's something that. Arizona State was really able to do leading up to getting some of these local recruits. They were in Quail and Cunningham's top schools. Yep. Christian Kirk, Casey Tucker, Cole Luke. You know, They've so, done that very well over the last, I'll say, handful of years. And I've, I've right. always thought that where whereas it hurts to lose out on some of the top local talent, being one of the finishing two or three schools is decent enough there is a consolation prize it keeps you relevant it and, keeps your yeah, school relevant. Some, some people don't mm-hmm. believe it you 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 win or you lose but uh, branding matters and the amount of time that your stuff gets put out there matters to me uh and i don't know if you guys feel feel differently but i think we should start to see some of that turn around and maybe some of these top recruits from the state of arizona like your tyler johnson's from highland austin jackson's from north canyon K.J. Jarrell from Saguaro, we might see some of them warm up to the idea of playing for ASU based on them doing such a good job recruiting uh, but maybe falling short in the last four years. No, I I completely agree. Uh, Absolutely. I definitely think that the Sun Devils have, kind of like you said, Ralph, just the the branding. I'm going to say ASU has kind of come along since I've been out here. They've suddenly developed the whole... New World Order, their uh, the whole Adidas switch, everything of that nature. So they're they're making moves and they're keeping themselves in the eyes of many teenagers, and that goes a long way. Bloodlines can help in, definitely in in what you're doing. And uh, Zach Thomas's nephew, Ty Thomas, uh, decommits from Oklahoma State, switches over to Arizona State. Hard hitting safety. He says he looks up to and models his game after Jordan Simone. Uh, so uh, what do you think it is to get a player like that who every time you think of them, you think of a, a, a guy who made, you know, all, what, almost 10 NFL Pro Bowls. And so uh, you think that that a commit like that, even though he's three stars from rivals, you know, uh, you think a commit like that helps the program raise the profile a little? I think that's huge because you figure, look at the area where he's from. They pulled him right out of Big 12 country. That's Texas. That's Oklahoma State. That's Oklahoma. Obviously, we all know the school's. It's the combination of that legacy, because as you said, Zach Thomas played a long time 
I was actually living in Texas when he was at his peak, when he was doing his thing. So you not only get a relative slash legacy, but you're pulling him from a serious power five area. So that that's bigger to me than a lot of just even the, I'm not going to say necessarily the local recruits, but that's huge for getting someone out of state. It and really is. Chili, a Texas three-star is not a regular three-star, right, is it? Right, right. I mean, it's highly competitive over there in Texas and California and Florida and stuff. Not, I don't want to say more so than here locally, but, you know, they they have a foundation out, out in those states that um, is very, very proven. So just saying like, oh, hey, we got a Texas kid, mm-hmm. like goes a long way. It doesn't matter if they're two or three stars versus when um, another school says, hey, we got an Arizona kid. It means a lot to us. But not on it just national level. nationally, mm-hmm. like you know, if you say Arizona State got six kids from Texas, it, it says a that's lot. Yeah, that's right. That, that's that's almost magical. Right. And that whole state knew who Dylan Sterling mm-hmm. Cole was. Definitely. Now you you know you have people who are going to follow Arizona State because of that. You have a situation where you know people maybe snickered a little bit when ASU decided to take a commitment from a two-star running back out of Texas the year before. But then look, Nick Ralston almost cracks the lineup as a true freshman. Uh, as, as almost like a, a hybrid fullback H-back type. And so uh, Texas is definitely a different ballgame, a completely different animal. Mm-hmm. And Texas is where we stay for their fifth commitment of June. Uh, Triglon Smith, who actually uh, played at the highest level that you can possibly play at in Texas and, and, and led his division in rushing. Uh, and, and he's somebody uh, who is from you know near Houston, reminds people a little bit of the last running back that was taken out of uh, the Houston area, out of junior college, Marion Grice. So uh, yeah, you end up with a with a couple of Texas players, three locals, and uh, you, you sit uh, with seven commits right now. Uh, three times less the commits than than, than the neighbors <laughs> down south, but you guys feel like it, you still uh, exactly where you want to be. They're in a good position, yeah. We, Absolutely. We, we got the best quarterback in this class, arguably, in Ryan Kelly. Uh, we got the good uh, running back kid from Texas. I think I think we're solid. We got the three kids from Saguaro. We're winning all over the place. People don't even have any clue. I think what Todd Graham has done over the last three years, I know we struggled last season record-wise. I think what he has done, the foundation that he is building, is going to really prove to – this is going to be how his coaching legacy is remembered. And with recruiting, it's quality, not quantity. I mean, you can have 21 kids, but if a bunch of them don't pan out, well, okay, nice coming, nice seeing you. So I think they're in a good spot, really are. So uh, one of the things that I want to talk about is I I, I looked at, uh, tried to go behind the numbers for Devil's Digest, and I put together an article, and and I I titled it 10 Important Numbers That Could Define ASU Football's 2016 Season. Now, even since putting this out a couple of weeks ago, or one week ago today, actually, on on Devil's Digest, I've rethought a couple of things, but I I, want to hear your thoughts on, on, on some of these things that I pointed out uh, and see if you actually think that they'll have an effect on Arizona State season or they're just sort of superstitious numbers and, and they don't tell the whole story. So uh, let's go with the first one, uh, zero, uh, which is the number of consecutive 500 or below seasons Todd Graham has had as a head coach. He went 5-7 and seven with Tulsa in 2009, uh, rebounded with a 10-3 and three year. And he went six and six and six in his one season at Pitt. Jumped over to Arizona State, took a six and seven team uh, to eight and five in 2012. 
do you think that his prior experience uh, not having a loser back-to-back, even though he has jumped around from school to school a little bit, do you think that will factor into the success Arizona State has this season? I'm going to say it needs to be. I will say that Todd Graham with the zero back-to-back losing records, it shows his consistency. It shows what type of coach he is. And you can look at any coach in America – if you have back-to-back losing years as a football coach, it's like, all right, what's this guy doing? So I think this is a huge year for him, not only for him to keep that little streak intact, but ASU, I don't think, can really necessarily afford another sub-500 year. They, this is this is big. They need to go 7-6, and 8-5. and five. I, I, think, I think that this is very telling because I think this tells you that the guy knows how to rebound from getting hit. Um, the, the greatest boxers of all time right. know how to – know how to, you know, come back from getting hit or getting knocked down. I think he got knocked down last year, and I think that there's um, a mul- like there's multiple reasons why the offense wasn't in sync, the defense was suspect, and now, you know, he's built this amazing recruiting class, and I think he's putting all his pieces in order, and I, th- I think we're about to see something really, really special these next few years. So uh, another number I brought up is 1,319. And this is the average number of fans per game Arizona State had above rival University of Arizona at home games last year. And the reason that I think that that specific number is an issue is that number was 15,000 in 2013 and around 6,500 in 2014. So you've had consecutive attendance drops of 9 and 8% at Sun Devil Stadium. Now, this was explained to me after I wrote this article that capacity has shrunk. Uh, But at the same time, they're still not filling that stadium. There's less people coming out to the games, even though the team is as successful as it's ever been. It's never been to five straight bowl games before. So it's an unprecedented territory. The things that people tell me is, well, there's more options, but I don't remember more options being added in the last couple of years than there were in 2013. Um, but capacity has come out, and it's going to be around the same as University of Arizona. So this is going to be the first real head-to-head season as far as ASU having about 56,000 seats available for the 2016 season, U of A having about 5,500 or a little bit less. So you're going to see an actual true head-to-head uh, does it matter? Does the turnout at the stadium matter as far as helping ASU be successful now, in 2016, right now? I'm going to say I think it does. We talked a lot about the whole attendance factor in the early parts of the podcast a year ago. You want to see the fans come out. There is this whole, as we've talked about the last couple of years, the whole new branding, the whole new uniform, the whole new splash that needs to be reflected in the, I'm going to say, in the box office. What I do think is great is Sun Devil Stadium is undergoing some major renovations. And I think that will help attendance this year. I think a lot of people are looking forward to wider aisles, just a whole new look to Sun Devil Stadium. So I I think it's important because ASU and U of A are very competitive. And, hey, if you're a Sun Devil fan, get out there. So, yeah, I, I will say on a personal note, one of my biggest things, one of my probably, I'm not going to say shining moment, but favorite moments since we've been doing this, when they beat U of A, the crowd, a full house, it was just about as energetic as we've seen. So, yeah, I, the attendance needs to happen. <laughs> if they want the attendance to happen, the players have to bring the kids out. The players have to bring 
the student body back out other than just the student section um, where I've seen ASU losing in the attendance race it really doesn't seem to down in Tucson there's really nothing there's it's a place to stop to go to the bathroom when you're on your way to Mexico um, there's nothing going on down there so they're the only show in town um, there are other things going on here in Tempe so winning is vital like if the players don't perform on the field people just aren't going to come and watch that that's just the way that this area is and you know it's up, it's up to the players they want they want to play in front of the full house hey you better get those w's you better beat up people early you better you know show out against nau you better run the score up on texas tech if you want people to come for pac-12 play you're gonna have to dominate early you're gonna have to really you know the message goes out to chase uh, Nikhil, Bryce, and the and everybody else who wants to get involved, Tim White, everybody else, win early. Get this new Devil's Order thing going early because if you don't, it's gonna go, it's gonna fall flat on its face, and you're you're gonna lose everything that you've already built up towards. You're gonna lose all the hype. Do you think they've bottomed, or you think they could actually potentially face another near double digit? percentage of drop in attendance could i mean are, could we be looking at a team that maybe only brings in about forty three thousand fans per game next year you struggle against nau beat them like by like a touchdown or two touchdowns or something no nobody's nobody's gonna be smiling um you struggle or lose against texas tech and you're looking at one and one maybe you know oh and two man yeah it's gonna it's gonna be now, now they're going to start calling for the head coach instead of just the coordinator. So you're saying, I mean, they have the potential to start four and zero with three home wins, and that can that can possibly sustain any type of any type of drop. I mean, there is also yes. the potential that they there's a legitimate potential that the attendance has bottomed out, and you'll see it stay stagnant. Obviously, it can't rise too much because capacity is fifty six thousand. So, but at the same time, you want to see the seats that are available filled and there might be some excitement to come and see that new stadium but you're uh-huh. right if they do struggle yeah. you know that that could be an issue uh it is dropping across most of the pac 12 though mm-hmm. and so the question i have for you is this what hurts attendance more televisions or tv time because televisions are getting better and better and cheaper and cheaper you can stay home you can watch a game with your friends yeah and it's not 175 degrees out <laughs> yeah, or is TV time because you're you're essentially sacrificing the ability for people to bring their kids to the game and indoctrinate Sun Devil fans for the future when you have these eight thirty starts? You know, I have four kids; they're not up at eight thirty, and if they are, I'm miserable. So, you know, I, it almost it precludes an entire generation from being able to experience those live games. TV time is tough. It definitely in I'm going to say even not only college football but. Really, all sports, college and pro. So, yeah, when you have the 8.30 starts, those, heck, I'll even say it's late for me. I mean, I'm not trying to be in bed at 8.30, but you prefer earlier starts. So 8.30 and later or any given scenarios, yeah, it can it can affect things. A lot of our listeners have kids, so I'm sure a lot of them have the same issue that you have. I'm curious. 8.30 start time, you say, is bad for you. But is a 6.30 or 6 o'clock start time any better when it's 150 degrees outside and your kids are cooking? Oh uh, no! I mean, my, you like my, your kids my, well behaved, not well, well my, done. My, yeah, well, my kids are active, so sometimes I like the sun to zap a little bit out of them. But you're right. At the same time, you're not going to put them in a position where they're so uncomfortable they won't be able to endure. Where you ruin it for them anyway. But at least at six, 
or earlier, if they wanted to watch it on TV, they could. You know, uh-huh. are they going to be watching some DVR game on Saturday morning or, or Sunday morning? They're going to be watching cartoons. You know, so it, it, it's it's really a situation where you have to put effort into uh, trying to make it a family thing. Uh, you know, people like to go out and tailgate, and that kind of breaks that up because you know you don't really know what time the game. Some of the games are going to be until six Later. days out. You know, obviously I'm covering the games, so my kids aren't going to be out there. But you know, before this, when I only covered high school, I had season tickets for five or six years, and uh, and I was never one time able to bring um, my my kids to a game because you're right, it was either too hot or too late, and so you know, it's 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 really a situation where. Uh, it's going to be difficult either way, and I don't think they have any plans to really solve the heat issue, obviously. And so, uh, and, and the time issue is really out of their hands, and they're mm-hmm. making a lot of money off television. So I guess it's really not something they can change. No, it's not. I mean, I'll say the stadium is going to be the draw, but Chili, like you mentioned, the hot start, no pun intended, that has to happen for attendance to be on the uptick again. Otherwise, it might drop a little bit from last year. Uh, third number that I brought up is 2004. It's the last time they beat Oregon. I think it's important because uh, this year's seniors were in third grade when it happened. Uh, this is a, li- a lifetime ago for them. And I, this is my hot take for the year. I think even if they... If the wheels fall off this year and they're just too young to handle the pressure, I think the one thing that they can salvage their season by by doing is breaking that streak. I think that that's obviously beating Arizona matters. I'm not sure that happens this year. You want to see who ends up, you know, a, a quarterback, uh, returning quarterbacks really influence the decisions that I make when I pick, you know, who, who's going to win. And Arizona is one of the only Pac-12 teams bringing a quarterback back. So, uh, you know. I look, I look at that, and I say, that's a that's a step in the right direction. That's the one team Todd Graham hasn't beaten uh, within the Pac-12. Uh, do you feel like that matters? Breaking the streak against Oregon. That's not true. Todd Graham just beat Oregon when he got Ryan Kelly to commit to ASU. <laughs> I'll say I don't think it matters at all. It's uh, it's just another game on the schedule. Yes, they have not beaten them in a very Long time, but I think for this Sun Devil team, take it one game at a time, one win at a time, so I don't think a particular opponent has a bullseye on the schedule at all this year. I kind kind of of agree. Um, Unless Oregon is sitting at zero losses or one loss, um, or it's in the Pac-12 championship, Mm -hmm. I, I, I I don't think there's a press to... We have to beat this one team because I'd rather, hey man, you lose to Oregon, end up like ten and one versus, oh, we have to beat Oregon and you end up like one and ten. Even after that triple overtime heartbreaker, you don't think that it's extra monkey on their back? They I do. I really don't. I think that's just it's just another game on the schedule. Yeah, I, it's it's not it's not University of Arizona still like we we got we got to beat them just like we got to beat Washington and every other school that's in, on our schedule. Okay. Uh, Here's another one. So, obviously, we're probably going to be run first mm-hmm. this year, even though it's a young offensive line. I don't see them you know, coming out and, and throwing the ball 40 times per game. Uh, so, one of the numbers I brought up was 16. And 16 is the average number of touches per game running back one and running back two had per game in Chip Lindsey's offense last year at Southern Miss on a team that also had 4,500 yards passing. 
So what I'm looking at is I'm looking at Kalen Bellage and I'm looking at Demario Richard, and I'm thinking 18 to 21 touches per game if healthy. They're both probably looking at 250-plus touches on the season. Uh, do you think that they can sustain that type of workload, and what do you think they'll be able to accomplish? I'm looking for 2,000 yards on the ground between the two of them. One might fall a little bit short, 800, 900 yards. One gets over a grand, 1,100 yards. But I, I think it's a doable mark. I definitely think that 2,000 yards on the ground. I think the uh, the dual threat of DeMario Richard receiving and rushing, of course, it plays a huge scenario. I look for Balazs a lot more on the ground. So, yeah, I, I think it definitely has to be a run first because we don't know really what the uh, quarterback is going to bring to the table or who that's going to be. But uh, two grand is my mark for those two this year. Yeah, it's, it's going to be run first, and I think it's going to be run first just because it has to open up the passing game. Um, like, like Brett just said, we don't know who's going to be the quarterback. I, I obviously lean towards the boss, but, you know, Graham might have other ideas. He might think that there's somebody better suited. Um, that being the case, whoever it is, they haven't thrown a pass in a college game yet. Right. So we got to start out, you know, with the ground and pound. And I'm okay with that, being a Giants fan. You know, I'm, I'm okay with the earth, wind, and fire type backfields. And the young kid, the um, freshman also that you wrote about, um, I look for him to, you know, get some carries too. So in the event that we do lose uh, DeMario or Kalen for um, a period of time, I think that we'll be okay. So I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to do all of these, but I will bring up the last couple of important ones. And if you want to view all 10, you can go to devilsdigest.com and check it out. This is a free article for you. Uh, 127. This one's important because, it, it, to me, it, it means last place where ASU finished in uh, you know total passing yards allowed and passing yards per game allowed. But they didn't just finish in last place. Uh, they, they, they did a couple of other things. Uh, they were tied for last among Power 5 conference schools in touchdown passes allowed. They were last among Power 5 teams in yards allowed per catch at almost 15, 14.9 yards per catch. And from the time that Pac-12 conference play started last year, ASU surrendered 400 passing yards per game and 15.4 yards per catch. Uh, obviously, they're not going to immediately restore that number five passing defense they had when Todd Graham first got here. Um, but at the same time, you know, how, how high up do they have to bounce back? Rock bottom is 127's rock bottom. Mm-hmm. They cannot do any worse than they than they did. You know, but this is a team that you know that should probably be somewhere closer to 12 and a half, 13 yards per catch allowed, uh, and given up maybe 320. To, you know, passing yards a game in a struggling down year, but 400 yards per allowing 400 yards per game, that's definitely not going to get it done. There's a lot of inconsistency in the ASU secondary last year. We lost one kid early, uh, Perry, and we lost uh, Simone. You know, there there was just a lot of issues. So, I'm, as as unfortunate as those numbers are, I'm not super disappointed. Um, I do think that there's a a light at the end of this tunnel and I think we're better for it. Uh, I'd rather that I'd rather that this I'd rather that we have to deal with last year's team which was around 500 giving up 35 yards of a catch or whatever versus <laughs> versus we're having a 10 and 2 amazing season and then all of a sudden we still are giving up that big play and in the bowl game we end up losing or 
you know, in the Pac-12 championship, we end up losing because, you know, our corners are getting toasted. I mean, I'll say they, that number, well, it can't get any worse. Um, you have to be able to defend the pass in some way, shape, or form, and they were not doing that towards the end of the season. I'm going to say if that number is even remotely close, if they don't rise up, it could be a long season. And it's more concerning to me for this year because of the lack, or I'm going to say the uncertainty on the offensive side of things, and particularly the ASU passing game. You can't afford to give up 40 to some of these teams with a freshman quarterback. I I just think that they could be in some trouble if that defense doesn't... uh, eliminate some of those long TD passes. Now, ASU is not the only team that's going to be dealing with a new quarterback this year. Uh, There are six games in just their in-conference schedule in which they could be facing a team that is starting a different quarterback than the one they faced the previous year. Four of them are going to have new starting quarterbacks. USC, Utah, Cal, and Oregon. Uh, While Colorado's quarterback might be sitting out this year, due to a foot injury, and obviously a new Solomon, if he's healthy, will be playing in the Territorial Cup, whereas he didn't last year. Does all of this turnover increase ASU's chances of uh, of kind of sneaking in, possibly having an improved record in 2016? I think it does. I mean, it's uh, anytime you face uh, new folks, or better yet, we'll say lack of experience foes, that bodes well, but um, I'm going to say regardless of who's behind center on the opposing team, your defense has to be in sync. You can't afford to give up those 400-yard passing games. Man, this is the Pac-12. All these, all these schools recruit well. Any one of these kids is capable of dropping the four or five bomb on you. So, I mean, you know, if you, if you, get, if you get caught sleeping, mm-hmm. if your secondary is as injured as ours was last year, I mean, we're, we're susceptible to giving up a four. I mean, just like any other school in the Pac-12. So, I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, I think that, you know, ASU just has to get their secondary situation right. Um, I, don't, I don't anticipate the struggles that we had last season. That's good. I certainly hope not. I they definitely have, hope no, not. No, they've traditionally done well against uh, quarterbacks who are, are, are facing them for the first time, like a pitcher going the first time mm-hmm. through the order. You know, maybe you're easy to figure out, but your stuff's confusing at first. Sure. Take a guy like Jake Browning up at Washington. You know, he's a guy that, that completed 64% of his passes on the season, but against ASU, he throws three interceptions and just looks like garbage, you know. <laughs> and and they, they do have a tendency to kind of psych a quarterback out, trip a team up the, the first time they're facing – uh, him, but the, those quarterbacks can come back to figure out what's going on, and obviously you end up with a situation like you, you had with Jared Goff last year, where you know where it just felt like he could he could do no wrong. So we'll see about that. And the last number I wanted to bring up uh, is 38, which is the number of projected scholarship players on next year's roster who are at least six foot three. Todd Graham has been recruiting size. Uh, he he wants to make this a, a bigger team, a team that looks uh, better on the field. You know that that you can uh, essentially um, kind of stack up uh, against physically against a, a team like USC. 
Um, and in size is an area where some of these Pac-12 teams have always struggled. A lot of these California kids, a lot of these kids out west aren't, aren't necessarily as big. You know, your Oregon States, your Utahs, your Colorados have traditionally had a hard time uh, putting some of those bigger guys out on the field. The ASU is, they're, they're stacking the deck. I mean, if you, you saw that photo on Twitter the other day of Nikhil Harry and Dylan Sterling Cole, you know, these six foot four uh, muscle bound kids that they're bringing in. They're turning over to their strength coach, Coach Grizz, who can, you know, uh, then do even more with them. Uh, do you think that? I guess the question is, does size matter? I'll say it does in a certain extent. You always want to have size. You want to have strength. You want to have a healthy team. But the number of six foot three recruits and above, already at six foot three and above roster members. I don't think that necessarily matters. It could be 25, it could be 50. So that actually doesn't matter. You just you have to have a good, solid, healthy ball club. I don't care if they're six three or seven foot eight, man. If you're five foot seven and you can play ball, like I will, I I I rather have a good football player. Um, you know, God 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 bless him now. But Buddy Ryan was a big advocate of like I want a six three receiver, like. It comes down to coaching. Can you coach a 6'3 receiver? Like, I mean, he did better with Gary Clark in his wide receiving core than he did with Rob Moore. And, I mean, as long as, long as the kids are coached right. Now, is that a rip on Rob Moore? Rob, I don't want to get into New York Jets, like, history. Uh, but it's he was Syracuse a thousand, history. He was, he was a thousand-yard receiver with, with, I believe it was the Jets, and then came to the Cardinals and was okay. Like, I mean, I, I just I just want to see these kids coached up right, and I don't care if they're five seven or six three or I whatever. I just have to throw my yeah. school in there. That's why I mentioned Rob. Man, Moore. I love Rob Moore. Dang it, cheap plug. <laughs> yes, but yes, it was. I, I I and I get that. I get that you have to be able to to figure out what to do with somebody you know who's big. There's plenty of these college basketball teams with seven footers sitting on the bench mm-hmm. uh, that they got from Turkey or whatever that never Dang. are able to figure out the game. You know, but at the same time, I think that, that that's essentially part of the recruiting strategy is, you know, they're going to go after some of these some of these bigger guys. You know, they're not going to be offering a tight end who's under six foot four. They're doing some true. of that prototypical stuff. And, 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 and if you can physically over overmatch some of these Pac-12 teams, I think that's what Todd Graham's going to try to do. I do want to just throw out, we talked briefly about having a hot start. Texas Tech, for me, is the key game because if – Annually, Texas Tech has a great passing offense. I think they'll be tested very early in that game. It's very early in the schedule. If things don't go the way we'd like them to against Texas Tech, and I'm not saying they necessarily have to have a W, but if they play well against the Red Raiders, I think the season bodes well. But if it's ugly for whatever reason, ouch. All right, Brett, go ahead and walk us through what we're about to hear. We, We got something special for Devil's Digest subscribers. Uh, they were able to submit questions, and you got that taken care of. So let us know what we're about to listen to. Yeah, I had the opportunity to sit down with Ray Anderson, the athletic director of ASU, and we talked about a lot of things. I definitely tried to factor into many of the listener questions, anything from brief us on the ASU hockey program, what the future plans are of Sun Devil Stadium, as well as any upgrades to Wells Fargo Stadium his, or Wells Fargo Arena, his uh, relationships with the U of A and the Pac-12, who some of his idols are, and just overall what goes into uh, being a successful AD. So Ray Anderson was very informative. All right, let's check it out. 
I'm privileged to be joined by the Athletic Director of Arizona State University, and that is Mr. Ray Anderson. First, Mr. Anderson, I'll say thank you for your time as an athletic director of a Power 5 school, Big 12, etc. excuse me, Pac-12. You're always busy, so we will keep it brief and very much to the point. As we look out of your office window, we see the football stadium being renovated. It will be finished by opening day. Talk about what some of the uh, things we'll see in the stadium that we didn't see at the end of last year. Well, phase two will be done, uh, Brett, when we open up uh, on September 3rd against NAU. Uh, you will see in the lower bowl uh, seats with seat backs, uh, wider aisles, more comfort. Uh, in the premium seating areas, there will be upgrades that uh, entail upgrades to concessions, walkways, restrooms, all the accoutrements that make uh, game day a little more comfortable. Uh, and then certainly... Uh, we will have a, a, a stadium that is more open, uh, more airy with the uh, taking out of the uh, northern uh, upper bowl. So uh, we will be in a situation where we are about two-thirds of the way through the full renovation, which will be completed uh, prior to the 2017 season. But uh, you will see a place that is going to ultimately be one of the top places in all of college football to enjoy, uh, particularly Sun Devil Athletics. That sounds awesome. And the place next door, Wells Fargo Arena, home of the Sun Devil Hoop team and led by Bobby Hurley, of course. What type of uh, upgrades would we see in the future over there? What are the general plans for that facility? Well, we have to uh, see if it will be an upgrade, uh, and it won't be an upgrade just for men's basketball. We have a women's basketball team. We have multiple Olympic sports that currently utilize that, graduation, et cetera. So uh, we're still going through some options with regard to whether it would be a, a renovation. Uh, could we do an extensive renovation? Uh, that would also uh, add on another smaller facility uh, adjacent to Wells Fargo. Uh, the notion of uh, uh, tearing Wells Fargo down and building something new there from time to time is floated. Uh, I don't think that has a lot of current appeal, but in this day and age, you just never know. So the options are out there, but certainly upgrades for our uh, basketball and other uh, Olympic sports. Uh, is very important to us, and so that will occur here, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. Hockey in the desert. Obviously, when the Coyotes came here many years ago, people kind of wondered if it would succeed or not, and it's been up and down. They've certainly had their day, but the Sun Devils are part of a, uh, they're building a solid hockey program. Tell us kind of where it stands now, how it's come to be, and what the future plans are for that sport. Well, our club hockey team, which you know is the national championship national champion just a couple years ago uh, had its breakout season as a varsity program we did a hybrid schedule had uh, a lot of success in the first year in terms of getting the attention of the hockey world both uh, here and uh, nationally so the program under coach powers uh, leadership uh, is growing uh, we've had a very solid recruiting year We've got some really top-notch staffers. And that sounds kind of weird, a solid recruiting year in hockey. 
uh, in hockey, uh, indeed, in every sport, you got to recruit. Uh, but I must tell you, there's something about the uh, the weather uh, in Tempe and hockey on the West Coast is actually something that people in hockey are very enthusiastic about. So Arizona State is leading that at the collegiate level, uh, and we'll be looking for uh, options for a, a an upgraded Division One level uh, hockey uh, home for Sun Devil. Uh, hockey, and we're working through some of those uh, scenarios uh, now as well. About 90 minutes down the road, there is a rival, especially for a lot of fans, and that's the University of Arizona, the Wildcats. First, I'll ask, what is your relationship with Greg Byrne, their athletic director? How do you uh, really mix and mingle with he and the other Pac-12 athletic directors? Uh, respectful uh, peers and, and colleagues. So uh, Greg and the other athletic directors uh, are, are folks doing a good job for their respective institutions. I have great respect for all of my fellow ADs, uh, and Greg is no different. When the Wildcats succeed in a certain sport, and let's say most recently baseball, they were runners-up in the College World Series. Do you look at that as a, um, and obviously, yes, you're a fan, but you're also a professional. Do you look at that as, wow, we got to step it up? And obviously, you always want to improve. Or do you look at it as, hey, you know what, that's the Pac-12 getting better? Well, you know, Arizona is a rival of ours. Uh, I love rivals. It's good and it's healthy for the conference. Uh, I'll point out that we beat them in our series this year, uh, but they got hot at the right time and to their uh, kudos, did well and advanced to the College World Series. So uh, they're a rival in the conference, uh, but the Pac-12 is so strong from top to bottom. Uh, all of it matters. They're all rivals as far as I'm concerned, uh, but I think it's a great competition. Uh, and makes for a really solid conference when you compare us to all the other conferences in the country. Pac-12, top to bottom in every sport, is a really, really uh, dynamic conference and good competition. When the season ends, in particular, I'll say the big three sports, baseball, football, and basketball, what do you guys talk about when I say you guys, you and the head coach of that given sport as far as a review, what went right, what went wrong? How do those conversations flow? Uh, we have conversations, uh, assessments with every single team, including the, the, the so-called Big Three, as you name them, Brett. Uh, and we sit down and like we would uh, do a business unit review at any business. We talk about the pluses, the minuses. We talk about the things we did well, more importantly, we talked about the things we can do better going forward. We talk about goals and metrics. We talk about uh, finances and academic standing and compliance and marketing and public relations and ticket sales and recruiting uh, uh, as a business unit because you want them to be able to view it not just from the lens of a head coach, but also from the lens of someone who is really the chief executive officer of a unit. Sure. Uh, and that in, uh, involves looking at it not just from uh, an X's and O's perspective, but also from a business perspective, from a student-athlete welfare perspective, uh, from an academic institution uh, perspective. We go over all those things uh, and then set our goals for the coming year. What would you say, and I'll certainly say that I consider you a success, but what would you say goes into the making of a successful athletic director? That was one of the more popular questions from our listeners. Obviously, ADs have come and gone. Some have stayed at the school for a very long time. Not so much ASU, but what, what's the recipe for a successful AD? Really being a very, very committed listener uh, and understanding that you don't know it all. Uh, but if you listen, there is so much education to be had 
from so many folks who care about athletics, from your student athletes, your coaches, your administrators, folks on campus, uh, your compliance people, your donors, your alums, media folks, uh, <laughs> et cetera. So if you listen, you will learn, and then you will be able to apply those learnings to make yourself and more importantly your whole program better so you've got to have a real strong listening capacity if you want to be successful as an athletic director we're speaking with mr ray anderson the athletic director of the arizona state sun devils asu one of the things i'll definitely mention and i echo this from a lot of our listeners first off thank you very much for your donations your personal donations you've certainly been an asset to this institution so i know a lot of the fans really appreciate you being what i'm going to say is the top dog I'll ask, uh, who are some of your idols, uh, whether it's been growing up, whether it's been in business, you spent a lot of time in the NFL, you've, you've been around sports for a long time, who are some of the people that you've either A, looked up to, or B, sort of patterned your business model and your career after? Well, I have uh, a number of those folks. That's a great question. But certainly, uh, I learned a lot from Arthur Blank, who is the owner of the Falcons and was one of the original two founders of the Home Depot. Uh, and so Arthur Blank hired me uh, as this chief administrative officer at the Falcons. and I thought you were going to say at Home Depot. <laughs> uh, no, at the, at the Falcons, and remains a very good friend. And the, the, the number one thing that Arthur taught me is that you have to appreciate what everyone does. So there's a story goes that at Home Depot, he would put on that orange apron and literally spend time at various stores in every department, be it electrical, plumbing, gardening, because he wanted to interact with the folks who did that work as well as with customers who came through those departments. So uh, one of the things Arthur really taught me was everyone has a critical, vital role, and so you must treat them with respect and treat them, in fact, as an owner, and that will really produce much greater results than you can imagine. When making out a football schedule, and obviously the football schedule is for the most part the shell of a schedule, is put forth really 10, sometimes 12 years in advance. What goes into looking at a future opponent of the non-conference variety? Well, you have to be uh, very strategic. And, of course, we have uh, Mark Brand, who's been here uh, a number of years, who leads those efforts in our scheduling, certainly for football. Uh, and you have to uh, know philosophically uh, that you want to play top-notch competition. Uh, certainly there's also some pressure to give some of the lower division teams an opportunity to play one of the big teams, so we want to be sensitive to that as well. Uh, but you have to be strategic in terms of uh, uh, what your fans want, uh, what makes sense for us in terms of the geographic uh, connection, uh, and a lot of other factors. But the philosophy here is we want to play top-notch non-conference scheduling in every sport because our fans deserve that. Our student athletes want to compete at the highest level. Uh, and at the end of the day, the competition is better when you do that. Last season, or I'm going to say last year when we spoke, you mentioned, and something that definitely holds very true, it was easier to be a student athlete when you played than it is here in the 2015-2016 season. What say, um, I guess, words of wisdom that you would give a student athlete in this day and age? Uh, you've got to focus on the core things, your academics, and taking advantage of the opportunity to get an education. Uh, and then you have to focus on 
not being distracted uh, from your your craft, and in, in this case, I'm talking about craft in terms of your athletic preparation, uh, because there are so many distractions with all the social media and all the interactions and all the different uh, ways to uh, be taken away from the task at hand. You've got to be really disciplined and time management oriented uh, to maximize the opportunity. Otherwise, you will waste a lot of that opportunity. And the last thing I'll wrap up with, you have a perfect view of the fields for home games. Where do you watch a home football game? Do you watch it from where we're sitting, or do you mix and mingle? Are you on the sidelines? Well, I'm on the sidelines usually for the fourth quarter because I really do want to focus in and absorb uh, the game, what's happening, uh, evaluate uh, coaches, evaluate just how our whole operation uh, is working uh, for from the perspective of fans, alumni, uh, supporters of the program. I want to get a view where I can appreciate everything. Uh, before that, I'll be up uh, in the uh, athletic director suite uh, entertaining sponsors and alumni and donors, uh, uh, folks from campus. I'll get around to the president suite and some of the other boxes, visit the uh, visiting athletic director. So uh, I've got a variety of duties on, on game day, including some media responsibilities. So the fourth quarter is my time, uh, oftentimes uh, alone, Brett, uh, or at least without uh, a lot of hecticness around me uh, to really get into the game. Outstanding, Mr. Anderson. Thank you so much for your time. Certainly appreciate it. I look forward to talking with you again. My pleasure. All right, coming out of that interview with Ray Anderson, um, I guess my question for you, Brett, uh, having sat down with him, is uh, uh, you sat down with him last year. Does it feel like uh, anything changed? Uh, you know, he's made a couple of big hires since then. Obviously, he's cycled a lot of coaches uh, into this program and, and is trying to build it uh, not, not just with the big revenue sports, but, but everybody. Uh, is, is there anything about your interaction with, with him that stood out to you? I just think he's on the uh, the verge of something. He's a guy who's been around sports, heck, we'll say all of his life, played baseball and basketball, excuse me, baseball and football in the Pac-12 or Pac-8 at that point. Been in the NFL. Here he is with ASU. I, I just think that he knows how to get solid people in place. I think he has a vision for the athletic program and the university. I think it was a mild challenge to him, which is why he took the job, and I think he's definitely on the uptick. I, I do have a couple of questions based on some of the things that he said that, that struck me as interesting. One of them is, do you think he listens too much? So he brought up listening, and, and, and this is something that I found kind of interesting. He brought up the idea that to be a good athletic director, you have to be a good listener. You have to listen to your coaches, your fan base, your boosters. You have to listen to the media. You have to keep your ear to the ground and know what's going on everywhere and make decisions that way. Does he strike you as the type of guy, you know, the boss at, in the workplace who puts the suggestion box out there and then maybe takes some of those suggestions a little too seriously? You have, you know, you have the part-time janitor who's able to drop a suggestion in the suggestion box as well as the manager with tenure who's been sure. there for 15 years, you know. Is there a potential that you can listen too well and maybe not tune out some of those voices that don't necessarily, A, deserve to be listened to, mm -hmm. or B, just come from passionate fans who feel things at a certain time and voice their opinion very loudly in those times, and then that feeling goes away. Do you think that 
uh, that could create an issue, or do you think that he's really on to something? I think he's on to something, but I'll say from, and I think he used a great point, let's say the part-time janitor, I think it's more of an appeal. You have to have the part-time janitor, the person who doesn't really have that good interaction with you. You kind of have to really feel him, and he has to feel you because he's a part of it. But I think your main suggestions, your uh, who your inner circle is, those are the people who he surrounds himself that have a lot of experience. That's where his good ideas come from. But I think just overall his vision from the of the university has to include everybody from a listening standpoint to get a good pulse on, we'll say the, uh, I don't want to say the common person, but you have to appeal to everybody, but you have your inner circle. I absolutely, hey, real quick, I got to say, I absolutely loved the interview. Like, you guys sound like old friends just sitting on that Forrest Gump-style park bench, just like, or bus stop bench or whatever, just like <laughs> talking. And the way that uh, he's got like an accent to him, um, I never really paid attention, but it's not Tempe, it's Tem- Tempe. Tempe, yeah. <laughs> and, and I absolutely loved it. And like, uh, the, the little uh, story that I gave you about like how you know who his like idols were Arthur and Blank. Hey, man, yeah, if you get you know you have to listen to the interview in its entirety if you don't you're really doing yourself a disservice um, one thing I'm hoping maybe you can ask him mm-hmm. is meet Ralph the Sun Devil fan and Ralph the parent halfway and do like a seven o'clock start time for uh, ASU football games early. If he, I mean, if they, <laughs> if he had control of that, that, I think he definitely oh, would. Uh, but they're taking those paychecks and TV money is everything you can tell by uh, just the NBA contracts that are being handed yes. out. Television governs it all. But a couple other questions I had uh, with with Ray Anderson. Having brought so many coaches into the program, you obviously have to look at the most popular, the biggest sport, football, and realize that Todd Graham is not his hire. Correct. Uh, now, there are some differences, some some pointed differences in the way that uh, the program is positioning itself this year and last year. Last year, you know, we, you know, they, they took some heat for the whole best team ever posturing. But it wasn't just Todd Graham. You know, this is a lot on Mike Bercovici. This is a lot on Jordan Simone. They were very vocal. They had the letter to the fans. You know, they were, they were answering the phone with, you know, home of the eventual national <laughs> champion. You know, and, and you see a lot of that bravado is gone. You have some new coaches in, and it's just a matter of, you know, I've got my guys. Let's see what we can do with them and position ourselves for the future. Uh, but a lot of people look at that and, and they, they look at the GM who in, isn't, you know, it doesn't have his hire there. We know he likes to hire people because he's mm-hmm. done it a lot. And, and football, that's the, that's the goose that lays the golden egg right there. That, then, and as a general manager, you know, you want to have your guy in position. Is this a classic scenario, uh, stereotypical GM might want to insert his own guy type uh, environment at Arizona State? Or is there an exception to that rule or that stereotypical rule uh, where Todd Graham and Ray Anderson are on the same page, they have a good relationship, and Todd Graham is, is in it for the long haul, uh, you know, whether it's up to him or not? I think they have a good relationship. I think coming in, Ray Anderson saw Todd Graham and respected him and still respects him as a football coach. 
I think this is a very big year for the Sun Devil football program, and I'm going to say from top to bottom. I, I just think that the ASU football team needs to win. If they don't, well, maybe he thinks about some things. I don't necessarily say that because it's not his hire, but I just think that when you have a couple of down years, any football coach in any football program, a change is always thought about. But I don't think it's necessarily because Ray Anderson did not hire Todd Graham. You know, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Uh, been pondering a couple questions. Todd Graham is a true showman. He he wants to circle the high school football fields in his boom <laughs> copter. He wants all the flashy logos. He wants the desert ice uniforms. He's got the custom boots. What if? What if? He was telling the truth last year. It was the most talented team. Mike Bercovici might have been one of the best pure quarterbacks ASU has had in maybe the last five or six years. One of the best pure quarterbacks. Absolutely. He just wasn't for that offense. Correct. We so, talked about that. So maybe Todd Graham was telling us the truth. This is the most talented team that I've had. He didn't lie to us. He didn't lie to us. Just the talent on the team couldn't carry out the orders that he was giving. I'm not mad at him anymore for last season because now he boasted it up. He built it up, and he he told us the truth. This is the best team I've ever had here, most talented. But when you have your general that just can't carry out the orders, you're going to deal with what you had last year. When you have a secondary that gets decimated by injuries, you're going to have those results. Maybe that was actually one of his better coaching jobs. So this year, he doesn't have to boast and say, oh, we're going to be the eventual national championship. We're going to uh, win the Pac-12. Like, hey, now it's show and prove. Now he's ready to just keep quiet, low-key, show and prove. Todd Graham might be a genius at his job. A genius. And he is a solid football coach, no doubt he, about that. Without question. Yes. Without question. And now he's got his recruiting classes, which every media member within the state has pretty much come to the agreement that it's one of the best in-state recruiting classes oh, ASU has had. And how long? Like, we got Nikhil Harry. We got Bryce Perkins. Like, got the three kids from Saguaro now. All we lost out on, really, over the last few years is Christian Kirk and Byron Murphy. Todd Graham is doing some genius things. I had, it, it took me... It took me a season to struggle through what he went through for me to fully understand that he's just a showman. And you and you think that Ray Anderson understands this. And I think that Ray Anderson gets it. I think Ray Anderson wants results because just like any genius, yes, and then you, that's, you, you, yes, you that want that results. He wants like, results. It's right. not it's not, oh hey, hey Todd, cool. We're gonna go five and six this year, fantastic. Like, let me sit on this Forrest Gump bus stop bench and eat my box of chocolates. No. Hey man. Graham, we gotta win, and we right. gotta win now. Like, yeah, and that's 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 what it comes down to. Yes, and it's I mean it's interesting stylistically. Mm -hmm. If you look at him saying that Arthur Blanks is his protege, yeah, a guy who likes to make everybody, you know, we're talking about the overlisting. He likes to make everybody feel included. Likes to make everybody feel like an owner. What do you think when 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 what picture comes into your mind when you hear the name Arthur Blanks? The bus stop commercial. I remember. Uh, there was a school bus program where he was if, on the bus. If I remember correctly, Arthur Blank completely stood behind Michael Vick 
when Michael Vick went in, went and got in trouble. Not just that, he stood behind him in a wheelchair when he got injured while all that was going on. He was pushing Vic around, and we, you know, he he he's invested in people. He's invested in the program. Mm-hmm. Now, can you imagine uh, a guy like, let's say, um, who's a who won uh, the Super Bowl at Miami and then and went to coach? The Cowboys and Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. You imagine Jimmy Johnson coaching for a guy like Arthur Blanks. Flashy with the hair and likes the cameras, orange tan, like outspoken. Mm. You know, does that mesh well? And so sometimes I wonder if, if, you know, if Ray Anderson sort of um, almost almost, um, understated, classy workman demeanor and Todd Graham the showman, if that isn't oil and water or if that's something that actually uh is uh, opposites attract and can really make this thing go and so i mean i i guess we'll see what you hope for is that todd graham invested into the program that he's going to actually get to see the athletes village that he's going to get to see the completely done stadium all the way through stage three of the renovations uh you you hope that this season doesn't you know he doesn't end up being the tenth coach that that Ray Anderson replaces? I don't think that that's happening. I think, and I don't know everything about Arthur Blank, but I think that if Arthur Blank hired somebody like Jimmy Johnson, I think that they'd be able to coexist. Mm-hmm. Winning solves everything, everything in sports, and. It allowed two huge egos like Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones to coexist. Um, I think that if if Graham produces and can continue sustaining, you know, nine mm-hmm. ten playoffs years, like like not nine ten win seasons and then some playoff years, I think that, like I said, his legacy, his yes, coaching I mean, legacy, yeah, can to... be built here at Arizona State. Yeah, I, I just want to see the six and seven reverse at the very least seven and six, eight and five. The program has to go up. Well, let's get into predictions then, because Pac-12 Media Days next week. I will be there. Uh, uh, Hode submitted his ballot. Hode Rubino, our publisher at Devils Digest, it is up on DevilsDigest.com. I put mine on there as well. Uh, I, I, I tweeted it out from uh, at Ralph Anston. I, I I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, that I'm going to be taken seriously as uh, a pundit or prognosticator after putting out what I, what I did. Uh, but at the same time, I do believe UCLA is going to win the, uh, the, the Pac-12 South. Uh, I think they're going to do it by going about 7-2 and two in conference. Um, I, I, I picked ASU to go fourth, and that in my mind can change. I actually have them losing the Territorial Cup. Uh, I have them going into the Territorial Cup at 8-3, and three, and a lot of people wouldn't believe that ASU is even going to win eight games this year. I have them going into the Territorial Cup at 8-3, and three, possibly losing, depending on who they select to be the the quarterback, essentially, is is where I'm at right there. I do believe Arizona is going to return some, some, some leaders on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. I think a new Solomon is actually going to help them finish third. Uh, I know people listening to this would like me to say that they'll finish sixth, and I just don't believe that that's the case this year. Uh, in, in, in the Pac-12 North, I, I think it's really all about uh, Stanford and, and what they have going on. Offensive line looks good. Uh, running game looks good. Uh, it's just about a quarterback not screwing it up. Yeah, I think Stanford is the uh, certainly the logical choice in that division. Just uh, 
really what they do on the uh, in the trenches, on the lines, and that dictates everything that they can do as it spans out. So yeah, I would say Stanford followed by Washington. After that, I think it becomes really a crapshoot. It's very, um, just looking at some of the message boards, and offhand, I don't have one of the individuals in front of me, but he was like, they all kind of blend together. Uh, so I, I don't see anybody jumping out besides Stanford and Washington, and in particular Stanford. In the other division, yeah, I kind of agree with you, Ralph. I think ASU finishes in the middle of that division. I think your front runner is UCLA with Josh Rosen, followed by USC. So I think that battle of Tinseltown will mean quite a bit at the end of uh, end of the season. And yeah, Colorado and Utah, they'll, they'll pretty much pull up the rear. So yeah, I would probably say that uh, you and I are in agreement with that division with, yeah, U of A is, uh, they're not going to be weak. I did take some heat for saying that uh, two teams with high expectations going into this year, Utah and Washington State, would both finish last. I don't think Washington State is just going to finish last. I think they're going to have an embarrassing go in the Pac-12. And I think it's just the pendulum principle. You get caught off guard when you don't know what Mike Leach is doing or when his Mm -hmm. offense has more experience than your defense. Not a lot of big-time, high-profile graduates on the defensive side of the ball or in the defensive backfield for a lot of the teams that Washington State's going to be facing. I mean, look at a team like Washington. They returned 16 of their 17 defensive backs That's and brought in guys like Byron Murphy. So you're going to see a lot of teams get stronger in the defensive backfield. They're going to be able to handle what Mike Leach throws at them. And they had a couple of losses on the coaching staff with you know one of, one of their offensive gurus heading over to be the quarterback coach at, at Oregon. So I genuinely believe Washington... Washington State has a rough year. They go three and nine, uh, but they've done that twice though under Leach. They had a three and nine year, then a good year, then a three and nine year, and then last year they won nine games. I think they revert right back to it, and I think that the most disappointing team in the Pac-12 this year will be Utah. I know that people like to say that their quarterback wasn't worth, you know, the uniform that he was putting on, mm-hmm. but he was a good veteran presence, and they lost a running back that was the heart and, and soul of that offense. I don't care how good your defensive line is when you're not putting up points on offense in the Pac-12. Right. It's you're gonna not going to matter. I, I think ASU is looking at a at a nine-win season, to be honest. Nine after, after the After the bowl game, I think they're going to get at least nine wins. So, I mean, that might leave them somewhere around like nine and three or something like that. I, I think they're going to lose to UCLA. I think they're going to lose to Oregon in, um, in conference. I, I, don't, I don't anticipate them losing – um, either either any of these first three games. I think that they're going to um, handle NAU, and uh, I think they're going to handle UTSA. Um, I'll ask you for an early prediction on a game later in the season. ASU at Washington, late November. Oh, I, th- I think, that what are, what is this, like the ninth or tenth time in a row that we'll be beating Washington? When's the last time Washington beat you, ASU? Okay. Like, it was like past tense and future tense. That's confident. Like, Okay. Like when, when's the, when's the last time Washington beat ASU? It's like, been a while. It's been a while. I mean, yeah. sounds good. Okay, early two thousands maybe. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's about it's it's about on. I mean, was Don level. James the coach still? Wow, Don James. Uh, I think it was before <laughs> Willingham, I believe. Wow. I, 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 I do. Don James. I do think. <laughs> I had to drop that knowledge. You, for yes, you didn't think that I knew that. You didn't think that I knew that. I had to hit y'all like that. I do believe that. That Steve Edmund was starting on the defensive line. Oh, now see, see, see how it all comes out. Wow, Chili gaining <laughs> some points here at the uh, the newfound studio. <laughs> wow, this is 
Well, I'm doing my homework. Mario Bailey was a starting wide receiver on that team. Nine, nine wins is a, it's a it's lot. It's a lot of Ws. It, 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 it really is, but at the same time, you know, I'm saying eight. We're going to get three seven, early wins, yeah. though. We're going to get three easy ones. I mean, all we got to do is start off, start off three and one at least. We get three I, I easy think, ones. And I think Texas Tech circled on Todd Graham's calendar and has been since that mm-hmm. holiday bowl embarrassment. See, he doesn't circle on my that, paper, too. So yeah. There's <laughs> that, and he doesn't. He is a Texas guy. He is. He is a Texas guy who already lost to A&M last year. Mm-hmm. He does not want that reputation going back. He can't beat his own. Like, yeah. No, I, I think that that's a huge game. I mean, I'm glad it's here, and I, I think it's, yeah, big right. game for them. And I hope I, that they make Texas Tech wear those black uniforms, so that way they're going to be I have to ask you this, Chili. Assume that Bryce Perkins... Uh, Goes down for the season. No, some, we can't assume we, that. So, well, for whatever reason, Todd Graham has decided to go a different direction. Let's go there. Well, because I, I always assume that you're saying the only way that Bryce Perkins isn't starting for this team is if... If uh, he transfers. It, it is if his his ACLs both tear at the same oh, time. Man, can we not, man, I'm not jinxing him. The juju. I'm not jinxing him. <laughs> you're, telling me, you're, you're telling me that he's he's got this job locked up. I, I Locked up like Akon. See, there you go. So, so uh, let's assume that something happens that prevents Bryce Perkins. Let's say that he's too good and the NCAA comes out and just says no. Okay. All right. So, okay, I'm okay with that. <laughs> all right. He's, so, he's well, the that's a more code. realistic he's, thing he, in your mind. He's the cheat code. Okay, exactly. I got you. So uh, let's say that it's either one of the other two quarterbacks. You still say nine wins? I'll take one win away. So I'll say eight wins. Okay. I'll say eight wins. All right. So to put it another way, and I'm not going to let you respond to this, you're saying Bryce Perkins is worth one win. At least. Okay. At least. All right. Because I say Bryce Perkins is a nine-win quarterback. And and to be fair and not put all the pressure on him, this is going to be a team that is dominated with a ground game. Mm -hmm. The offense is going to be dominated by the ground game, and it's going to open things up for whichever quarterback ends up starting. Bryce Perkins, I think... It's nine wins. Maybe he can get you that tenth one. Any of the other guys, eight wins is the is the ceiling. Is the max. Is the max. Eight wins is the max. So like, if it's seven, it might be closer to seven. All right. So you heard it here first on the Bryce Perkins podcast. Uh, let's pivot. Let's talk basketball before we close this thing out. Bryce Perkins was a great basketball player too. I think that he was an above. He was a he. He was an above hey, average. We could be looking at another Charlie Ward. How you like that? Wow, small forward oh. in a shooting guard's body. He'd Quarterback to, point guard. He'd try to body those six foot five. Guys. Our new fast break offense, oh. led by Bryce Perkins. I saw him throw a couple elbows. He get he get aggressive. He'd hold his own. So. Let's talk about ASU basketball, which goes from we can't land anybody, let's fire Brian Merritt, oh gosh, all these grad transfers don't want to come here, what are we going to do, we only have like eight scholarship players, now Savannah Goodman's leaving, what in the world is ASU basketball going to do, and then a short couple of months later, a not so short team emerges after four players who are all listed at six foot nine end up part of the 2016 recruiting class. I love Romello White. Mm-hmm. I love Romello White. This is going to be the mellow show. 
It is it's going the to be crazy. Of a fantastic basketball program. I mean, it really is. I mean, a year ago this time we were talking about, well, look who's the head of that basketball program, and it's a guy who's a proven winner, and he's been in adverse situations before, and he turned around what we thought, like you just said, perhaps a bottom barrel guys leaving this and that. Whole new type of recruiting class for Mel White is going to be awesome. This is, and I'm not an emotional guy, but I'm going to say in two years, this is where it's like, wow, we could be looking at a Final Four. A Final Four? Okay, so Eric um, Pearson, our, our resident basketball expert at Devil's Digest, he put together sort of a projected starting lineup, and it's it's in the forums at Devil's Digest. Subscribe if you mm-hmm. don't. Uh, you're going to want his expertise. He says he, he's projecting Romello White, as long as everything's good academically, he ends up on campus. He's projecting him to be the starting center as a true freshman. Guaranteed. Guaranteed, no question. Guaranteed. Wow. He's going to be the best big man we've had since Mario Bennett. And now. Better than Ike Diagu. He's going to be better, better than Ike. He's better, gonna be better than, than Ike. Than He's going to be better than I like Ike. The Mellow Show is so real. Now, Ike Diago used to feast on those those lower level Mel- games. Mel- Mellow and Sam are going to. I agree with Brett. Mellow and Sam are going to take us to a Final Four. Guaranteed. Now, Guaranteed. Sam, Sam Cunliffe, uh, he, you know, he's penciled in to possibly start out at the wing and small mm-hmm. forward position next year. And, and now. That, those aren't the only players that are coming in. Andre Adams is also six foot nine. He's coming back after after ACL surgery. Torian Graham somehow managed to salvage his reputation. It looks like he'll be coming back for his final year of eligibility, and he's somebody who was a very talented four star at one point coming out of high school. Uh, and then you know you you've got Bobby Hurley's best player from his time at Buffalo, who transferred Shannon in. Evans. So Shannon Evans, yeah. and so. This this is we we said we said fun. me and Brett said that after the, after the last basketball season that Hurley did an amazing job with what was left in the cover uh-huh. which wasn't much right now he has chosen what he's putting in the cupboard he's cooking up something really he really is, good for yes. Tempe it's going to be a problem for a, for 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 U of A U of A is going. It's going to be tough times in Tucson. It's, it's got an interesting out. international flavor, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, The kid from Spain, is it? Yeah, Ramon Biel. He, he, he played a, a high-level ball. Hey, uh, those Spaniards are good. Don't be fooled. Pau Gasol, Mark Gasol, yeah. uh, La Bomba, who filled Kobe and Bryant so up for like 38. Very, very disciplined. That's yes. what I like about the guys from Spain. Well, they slapped their kids in Spain. so I, mean. I don't know about too much <laughs> of that stuff, but I will say that I'm happy with what Bobby Hurley is building in that Wells Fargo arena. Well, and I, I think with a lot of the young talent, I think you're going to see a veteran. I think obviously, Trey Holder is going to be the heart and soul mm-hmm. of this team, regardless of what's going on. But I think the veteran presence in Obialeka, I think he takes mm-hmm. a step forward. I think he's somebody that you look at as possibly having a, a, a double-double level uh, season while he helps some of these other guys develop. So this is a basketball team that went from – you know what are we going to do to even get bodies on this roster to have a respectable level of scholarship players to adding five six foot nine players that are eligible to play this next upcoming year and then Shannon Evans, Torian Graham, and Sam Cunliffe. This is a completely mm-hmm. different team. When is the last time? And Ralph, I know you like to crunch the numbers, so some homework from the soon-to-be teacher, I guess. Mm-hmm. When is the last time ASU's basketball program has had five skilled players 
six nine or taller. Honestly, I mean, when when you, and when you say skilled, I mean, obviously, you know, yeah, that can dribble and talk yeah. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yes, Jethro's raw, and he might remind some people of our of our Duke transfer from. Uh, from from days past, they Serge Angunu. That you know, they've had notable guys with some height, but n- never, never. I, I mean, er, that could look, do more it, than block shots. Right, Goodman was six foot six, six foot seven, and he was playing center at times last year. You know, Eric Jacobson would get in foul trouble, and they just mm-hmm. didn't have the ability to slow anybody down. And so to for the pendulum to almost swing to say like, oh, where are the guards? You know, this is this is a completely different look. And I think it's going to give you the opportunity to actually see what kind of coach Bobby Hurley is Lamella and what so his good. staff is capable of. Because with two projected freshman starters, a JUCO transfer projected at the four, a transfer from, from Buffalo projected at the two, you know, Trey Holder's really going to have to hold his own. And that's why I look at two years from now, because this way Bobby Hurley can see the Pac-12 again. And in year three, I I think that's where, and all of these freshmen will be sophomore, because that's the other good thing. This class has good, very good college players. I don't think we're going to see any one-and-dones out of this. That That's my initial thought. I, I agree. I so think right. I think that's why in 2018 we will see a powerhouse team wherever that Final Four is played. I think I think that I think that Melo and Sam are on campus for at least three years, three, three college basketball seasons. Mm-hmm. Well. And I'm, I'm really excited yeah, for that. Yeah, this is you, – You heard it here first. We're, we're this will go from out. the Bryce Perkins podcast to the Melo podcast. Just so everybody's clear. Okay, okay. So it, <laughs> this will be the mellow show. It's nice that we don't just have one player that we're totally throwing all our chips in on. Uh, so uh, this has been the Devil's Junkie Podcast. Uh, look forward to our next episode. I'll, I'll be getting some audio from some of the Pac-12 coaches uh, out at Pac-12 Media Day. We'll bring you the latest updates in recruiting. We'll play. We'll break down these players and we'll talk about uh, some of the issues of Sun Devil Nation and what they mean to you. For Brett Quintine and Chili, I am Ralph Amson. Have a great week. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town.